50. With six NBA titles, five MVPs, and, st- and 10 scoring titles, 14 all-star appearances, and many other feats, Jordan's legacy on the basketball court is unmatched. In anticipation of Jordan's 50th birthday, ESPN uh, senior writer Wright Thompson spent time with the big number 23. The product is an outside-the-lines article about Michael Jordan, who has not left the building. A fascinating uh, behind-scenes glimpse into the mind of the man who revolutionized the world of sports. Jordan might have stopped playing basketball, but his rage is still there. The fire remains, which is why he searches for release on the golf course or at a blackjack table, why he spends uh, so much time and energy on the Charlotte Bobcats. It's, it's, it's a team that he owns. And why he dreams at age 50 of returning to play. The man has left the court, but the addictions will not leave the man. Jordan's surroundings only reinforce a a perception of otherworldly status. Thompson remarks, Jordan is at the center of several overlapping universes, at the top of a billion-dollar Jordan brand at Nike, of, of the Charlotte Bobcats, of his own company, with, with dozens of employees and contractors on the payroll. In case anyone in the inner circle forgets who's in charge, they only have to recall the code names given to each by the private security team assigned to oversee trips. Este is Venom. George is Butler. Yvette is Harmony. Jordan is called Yahweh. A Hebrew word for God, Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Not the sort of nickname that fosters meekness. Wright Thompson wrote this. He's, he, he's not a Christian. He's a journalist. Uh, according to my brother, Pastor Jonathan, uh, a summary statement of what Yahweh means, which was never spoken by the Jews. They substituted the word Adonai, wherever that word was found. It is intended to communicate at least four primary or, or, or these following things about God. It is his personal name. It is, it's his holiness. It's his lordship over creation. It's his faithful covenant with his people. It is his lordship over the nations. I'm not saying that Michael Jordan knows all of that. But he does know that it means Lord. 
and 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 he is arrogant. Um, he is confident. Um, he goes on to say, "This this is what Michael Jordan says. My ego is so big that I expect certain things. But as Thompson observes, his this is a natural consequence of life at at the very top." Jordan is used to being the most important person in every room he enters, going a step further in the lives of everyone he meets. People cater to his every whim. I'm not here to judge Michael Jordan. I leave that to God. I leave that to the opinions of others. But Peter is, is here to judge these false prophets. He is here to judge these false teachers. And, and he speaks under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we're actually on quite a ride here. I want to say, fasten your seatbelts. Be, be, because we have been with this false prophet thing uh, for a couple of Sundays in, in a row. And, 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 and we have two more to go. And it must be an immensely important topic, both when Peter wrote it and even for our day. Uh, uh, Pastor Ted ended last week with these false teachers uh, who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. We begin with bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And then we end with this speechless donkey who has a human voice and, and restrains the prophet's madness. PT will begin next week with waterless springs and mists that are driven by a storm. And he will end with a dog returning to the vomit and a sow, after washing herself, returns to the mire. So what I'm going to try to do, though... I, I've got 12 observations or 12 indictments or, or 12 uh, um, uh, bare-fisted blows that bring the false prophets to the, the bottom notch in a, a barrage. But uh, we won't be able to spend a lot of time uh, on this, but what I hope to do is just uh, sprinkle some application with it as we go along. And then uh, time allowing, uh, uh, we'll have four or five major applications as we fly at a higher altitude. Well, number one is that they are bold and willful. They are arrogant. Number one is their identifying mark. They have arrogant audacity audacity and 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 those words come from the context of being daring uh, and and I'll say this it's it's not necessarily bad uh, to be bold and confident if your boldness and your confidence is linked to humility and wisdom and a desire to glorify God it can be a very good thing. It can be an admirable thing. It can be an advantageous thing. But in this case here, their audacity and their 
willfulness and their boldness are linked, as Barclay says, to the shameless performance of things that are an, an affront to decency and right. It's in a totally wrong direction. This may be the context or, or these thoughts may make us to think that this is where that expression daredevil comes from. If you are a daredevil, what you're doing is daring the devil to deal with you because you are so wicked. Notice in the second place, then, we have something they do in, in 10b and, and, and the first part of verse 11. We find that they are bold and willful, and they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and in power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. This is kind of tricky, but but I I got the consensus uh, from six good commentators. What they say is, and, 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 if, and if it resonates with your heart, you can embrace it too. I embrace it. Um, uh, uh, that the glories or these glorious ones, in the first case, they are the fallen angels. They still have some glory. They still are more powerful. They still can travel very quickly. They still have some admirable qualities, although they are fallen. And, and, and so what these guys are doing are, are overstepping and they're saying blasphemous things. They're saying slanderous things about them. Either they are saying uh, uh, they don't exist or they are not so powerful or we are more powerful, we are more influential than they are. But the other angels... The righteous ones that are in in this passage, they don't say anything about them. They don't overstep their boundaries, even though they have superior power, way more power than any of, of these false prophets. They don't speak against them. Jude chapter 8 says this, and we only want to get the one thing out of it because it's another complicated passage. Jude 8 says, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Christ, he did not present about the body of Moses, sorry, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All I want to say about that is that even an archangel deferred to God when, when he had a dispute. He, he, he did not slander the devil. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. So we have to pause then. We say, as I started to say in the introduction, we are not judges. We are servants. It's, it's not our duty to accuse others. We should pause and we should resist this. And we should resist the temptation of 
pronouncing judgments on other people, especially our brothers and, and sisters in Christ, un, 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 unless it's absolutely necessary. James 4, 4 and verse 11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and, and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, so like Michael the archangel, we need to leave those judgments to God. These guys apparently have the guts to do what angels do not do. And, and, and it's clear that they are false teachers who have raised themselves up. They have broken rank with their position. And, 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 and they have brought about whatever slander uh, is, in, is in this passage. Lucas and Green say, fools, it is said, rush in where angels fear to tread. And certainly this principle applies to the arrogant stupidity of, of the false teachers. Let's go to number three then. What are they like? Verse three says, number three, verse 12 says, but, but, but these are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and, and destroyed. There's an awful lot in just a few words. They are irrational animals. They are unreasoning. They are subhuman creatures. They are creatures of instinct. They are brute beasts. They are ruled and driven by instinct. And, 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 and you know what animals are all about. Animals are all about self-preservation. They're about eating. They're about having sex and reproducing. Uh, uh, they're, they're all about pleasure. That's what they live for. Every lost person lives like this. That's the level that we were at before we were saved. We live for pleasure. We live for ourselves. We live to preserve ourselves. That, that, that's all we cared about. And, and, and we never knew that we were living like animals. We were living like dogs and cats. It, and, and that's because we did not have the Spirit of God, and we could not understand those gifts that, had, that would come from God's Spirit. They seemed like they were nonsense to us. But ironically, Isaiah declares in chapter 1 and verse 3, the ox knows its owner, the donkey his master's crib or trough. But Israel does not know, and my people do not understand. Wow. The animals, at least animals, know who their master is. But we, because of our fallen estate, we don't even know who our owner is. We don't know who our creator is. We need the grace of God in order to teach us that. But an ox... And a donkey, as we're going to see later, can be wiser than a man. Well, well number four, 
uh, from this very same verse, verse 12, you, you see their end. They are born to be caught and destroyed. The cows are in the field. The chickens are in the coop. The pigs are in the sty. The rabbits are on the trail. The squirrels are in the road. What happens to all of them? What happens to those cows that you see on the hill chewing their cud and, and, and eating grass? They're, they're all destined for the slaughterhouse. Uh, the squirrels, uh, I think, are destined to get run over by a car because of their in, indecisiveness. But, but at, at any rate, that's what these false teachers are like. They're like animals that just fill themselves up and, and one thing is sure for them, God's going to judge them. Uh, and, and it's not always reserved. Here's a lesson. God's judgments are not always reserved until the last day. God's judgments are not always reserved uh, for a man or for a woman or for a boy or a girl to last or, 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 or to be postponed. He is free to judge anybody at any time. Hugo Chavez died at age 58. He, he was 58 years old, and he is suddenly cut off. He was el presidente de Venezuela. Y se murió in his, in his youth, in, in his relative youth. I am 58. God lets me live, but he cut that man off. Is he a reprobate? I don't know. Did God pass him over? I don't know. But whatever I hope or whatever I say has nothing to do what what God has already done. God lets people go. God God allows people to have their preferences. God says to us in, in Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is attached to idols. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Let him go. That's the worst thing that a, a sinner could have happen to him. Just let you go. Let you have what you want. Let you have your preferences and, and forget all about God. So, we have seen those ice cubes. You know, you, you get one in your mouth, what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you wanna, I won't spit it out, but there is a temptation. Um, I'd rather not have ice in mine, please. But anyway, um, we, we've seen their identifying mark. We've seen something they do. We, we see what they're like. They're like animals, and we see where they're headed. Number five is that they blaspheme about matters in which they are ignorant and will also be destroyed in their destruction. They have a foolish stupidity. They have a willful ignorance. Moose says, Peter uses the comparison of animals to refer both to false teachers, both to their ignorance and to their immorality. They are caught up in their own destruction while they are, are destroying others. Verse, ter- 
verse 13 says, uh, 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 destruction awaits them. You can literally translate it being harmed for an unrighteous ways. Mu again says being paid back for the harm, being paid back with harm for the harm that they have caused. The, the Holman Christian Bible uh, simply says suffering harm as the payment uh, for their unrighteousness. Here is perfect justice. Here is glorious justice. Here a man is receiving exactly what he deserves. Number six in the latter part of of verse 13 is this open, broad daylight practices of of sins. They are all day sinners, not just at night where most people do it. Uh, They do it during the day. They do it all day long. Uh, 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 The word for pleasure is is the word uh, 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 that we say... It's the word that has its root in, in hedonism or hedonistic. Number seven, uh, uh, as the barrage continues in the last part of verse 13, there are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. There's a lot in, in, in that text. It's actually helpful to see the opposite of it. We are the ones who are waiting for God and we are to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish or any such thing. That's the opposite of what they are. And it it could be that they were taking the Lord's Supper. That may be what the feast uh, uh, refers to, but they were deceptively taking it. They were pretenders. They were fakers. In, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, you've, you've got people that were getting drunk uh, of, of all things at the Lord's Supper. Jude 12 says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, but they are shepherds feeding themselves. So when you come to verses 8, uh, when you come to... To, uh, to verse 14, you, you, you have I, uh, items 8, 9, 10, and e- 11 in this bold-faced, packed-in presentation. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They are accursed children. Uh, 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 what, what verse 8 says literally about adultery is that their eyes are full of an adulteress. That's what it literally says. Every woman that they look at is a potential candidate for adultery. They are given over to it. How, how this slays us men. We've got to fight, don't we? We've got to fight every day of our lives. We've got to be able to close our eyes. We've got to bring the cross of Christ to our minds. If, if we see something that we should not look at, we do not do a double take. Uh, maybe you ladies don't understand how we are put together, but 
there are such tinder in us, and, and, and men, you know that you are ruled by your eyes. You must look away. You must never give up. You must fight. You must pray. You must repent. You must confess. You must ask for forgiveness and, 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 and turn your heart to the cross. I'll tell you, if you plant the cross in the midst of that temptation... You will not turn. You will not look again. If you can bring Jesus close to you, you will not do that double take. It will not enter your imagination. You will not entertain it. Let's fight, men. Come on, let's fight it. Number nine is, is, is that they are insatiable for sin. And we know that that is the nature of sin. Those of us who, who, who know Jesus and have had our share of sin, we know that we were never satisfied with it. No matter how much we engaged in it, no matter how much pot we smoked, no matter how much indulgence we engaged in, no matter how many possessions we accumulated, we're never satisfied. That's Michael Jordan's problem, isn't it? A basketball is not bringing him what, 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 what he thought it would. He's the king. And, and, and yet he is yet un, unsatisfied. Number 10 says, uh, 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 they entice un, unsteady souls like hunters um, with bait. Uh, they have lures for the unwary. That's what can be derived out of that. While, while, while all along the exact opposite is, is, is that we are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in, in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Number 11 is that they are trained in greed. They are experts in it. They have a fully developed habit uh, 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 that were to be trained or to be an expert uh, comes from the gymnasium. And, and, and the application to us, as we look at them and, and we say, along with Peter, that's all they're after is money. That's all they're after is their own pleasure. They're, they're greedy men. What do, what do I see? What do I see when I look in the mirror? Do I see a generous man? Do I see a man that says it's not so much the percentage of my money that I give, but how much of God's money am I keeping for myself? I search my own soul before my congregation. Dear people, we are coming up as Pastor Ted prayed. And, and I'm a missions pastor and I can't help it. We are coming up to first time historic moments at Heritage Baptist Church. We're going to send out missionaries. Listen to me. We're going to send out missionaries for the very first time from our church. We're going to send missionaries to Serbia, Romania. We're going to send missionaries to the Horn of Africa. 
We're going to send missionaries to Ireland. We're going to send missionaries someday to a major city in Indonesia. Dear people, I want you to own it. I want you to embrace it. This is what God is putting in our laps. This has never happened before. I want you to catch this vision. God is using our church to be a sending church with prayers, with support, with, with economic assistance, with our hearts, with reports coming back to us. This is the very first time it's ever happened for us. It is stupendous. I, I, I hope it will grip your heart and, 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 and you'll track with this. This is, this is fantastic that God should choose us. We didn't choose them. We weren't looking for them. God chose them and God's going to use them and, and we got to back them. We got to support them. We got to hold the ropes. We got to take vacations there. We got to go to the Horn of Africa someday. We got to go to Ireland someday and, 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 and see Michael and Ashley Mahdi. Let's go to Romania. Let's go to, let's save our money and, 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 and let's take a trip of encouragement for them. We can do stuff like that. So we're looking at these greedy guys. Let's make sure that we view what we have as already belonging to God and what portion are, are we actually going to keep for ourselves? Well, number 12 then is because of all of this, their conduct, their choices, their preferences, they are accursed children. Literally, they are children of the curse. Well, then Peter ends up w- w- with an example uh, sometimes it's 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 helpful to have an example, and 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 he chooses one that all of them knew about because it it was a part of their history. In in verses fifteen and sixteen, he speaks of Balaam, who was the son of Beor, and 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 he's the epitome of 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 what a false prophet was. He's the one, you know, that uh, 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 forsakes, uh, according to Proverbs 2 and, and verses 13 through 15, he's the one who uh, forsakes the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. He's the one who rejoiced in doing evil and delighted in the perverseness of evil. He's the one whose path was crooked and who... who who was devious in in all his ways that's balaam and 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 if you know the story of balaam you know that 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 god spoke to him and god gave him real prophecies he prophesied four times in numbers chapter 22 and chapter 23 he said what was true but he said it against his own will he wanted to get paid for this. And, and, and in chapter 22 and, and, and verse 12, God says to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for, for they are blessed. And what does Balaam do? He goes with them. He keeps on going with them, 
even though he cannot curse them, he, he, he has to give a blessed prophecy, but he willingly and repeatedly goes with Balak in, in order to curse Israel. God says, you shall not curse, but Balaam is willing to repeatedly try. He could even make a statement like this. Uh, he says this, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of, 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 of the Lord my God to do less or more. I want to tell you, talk is cheap. That sounds really good. But he was an, he was an ungodly man. Balaam also said in, in chapter 22 and, and uh, verse 38 of Numbers, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth that must be what I will speak. That's, that's what he says. But you remember this, this uh, uh, donkey episode when the donkey sees the angel of the Lord with uh, his thorn drawn and, and, and the donkey turns aside and goes into a field. And then he sees the angel of the Lord again and he's, he's passing by a wall and he he uh, he uh, presses Balaam's foot up against the wall. Then, w- when he has nowhere to go, the the donkey with Balaam on on his back lays down, and each time he strikes the donkey, each time he hits the donkey, and then we read this in in chapter twenty two. The Lord opened the mouth of uh, of the donkey, and he said to Balaam. Imagine this happening. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam says to the donkey, because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would have killed you. He's having a conversation with, with a donkey. And, and the donkey said to Balaam, he reasons with him. Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life until this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and, and, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword in his hand and he bowed down and fell on, on his face. Well, you see the foolishness of, of this man. It's not even incredulous to him that a donkey should speak to him and and a donkey should show greater wisdom and a donkey could have better eyesight than he has. He's a foolish, wicked, ungodly man. So you read in in uh, uh, Numbers 31 and verse 16, the indictment on Balaam that he caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. People can say whatever they want. He's the consummate 
false prophet because at times he seems so good and he seems so useful. A, a friend on Facebook, Anna Blaha, says, uh, uh, we can say all the right things and still be on the road to destruction if our life is not holy we are all just mockers. I think she's right about that. So uh, Deuteronomy 23 verses 4 and 5 says that they hired, uh, they hired Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to him. So you see what he wanted to do. He wanted to curse. But instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loved you. Joshua 13.22 says, Balaam also, here's the indictment. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with a sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their, of their slain. And if you read... If you read Revelation 2 and verse 14, you'll get the inside track. This is the clincher. Jesus says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Well... That's Balaam. Let me get to the broad applications then. Number one, when you see Balaam, you see all that he knew. All that he knew about God, all that he was used of God to do. He had plenty of knowledge. What do you know? What do all of you know? What do you lost ones here know, you, you poor unbelievers? What do you know? I'll tell you what you know. You know more about Jesus than all of the people of the nation of India. When I was in India, I had to be rebuked at least three times, wasn't it, Jonathan? Because I, I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And you're not allowed to use the name of Jesus in any public place. I could not speak his name. And these guys were hard on me. And I had it coming because we could have been thrown out of India by the slander of any Hindu guy who says why we're there. And they don't care what kind of visa you have. I've got a 10-year visa. doesn't make any difference at all. I could be kicked out. But here, you know, you know the name of Jesus. I want to tell you something. If you're lost and and, and you ask any Christian here, ask anyone, ask me after the service, what is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you in in your life? I'm not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you. I finally got the job that I really wanted. They're not going to tell you that I finally... I finally found a life's mate. They're not going to tell you that, that I, I just love my kids so much and that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's not what I guarantee you, it, you give them a chance to think. They're, they're going to testify. They're going to tell you, 
I found Jesus. A supernatural event took place in my life. That's my testimony. The best thing is not getting a trophy. It's not having a huge bank account. It's not having a new car. It's not even having a wife. It's not even having kids. It's having Jesus. You've got to know that. That's what we will testify. And where is the greatest happiness? And where's the greatest joy? And where's the greatest blessedness? We'll stand up and shout it. It's in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's where it's found. And you'll never have it until you find him. And he is there to be found. You can have him. If you'll take him, if you'll call upon his name, if you'll receive him, don't get gospel hardened. You know the gospel. You know there's a substitutionary death. There's someone to take your sins. It's the son of God, nothing less. You can have it. Just believe it. Just embrace it. Just ask God for it and it's yours. We want you to have it. He's the true prophet. The officer said, never a man spoke like he spoke. You know that the multitudes were hanging upon his words, the glorious words that were falling from his lips. There's a savior. There's a savior to have. uh, The, the, uh, uh, a second application, which is really related to the first now that I uh, spilled into it. You are not listening. You are not under the influence of false prophets. You don't have that. We don't live in Mongolia. We didn't get to choose to be born in the United States. We're not Buddhists. We don't have shaman priests. We're not Hindus. We're not under the power of Islam. It's, it's just fantastic uh, to live in a free country. Number three is, 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 what is a false prophet? What is he like? Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. You, you will not know them so much by what they say, but who they are. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. Figs do not come from thistles. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and you will know them by their fruits. He says, not everyone who who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many were We're going to see this. We're going to hear this. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them. What's he going to declare? Y'all a bunch of liars. You never did any of that. No, that's not what he's going to say. He will admit that that they prophesied and they did many mighty works and they did them in the name of God. They did those things. What will he say to them? I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's what a false prophet is. He's a worker of lawlessness, and no matter what miracle working power he has, no matter how he may be able to prophesy, you judge him. Judge them by their fruits. Judge them by their deeds. Judge them by what they do. Let me close with this. Matt uh, uh, Smenthurst, the uh, Gospel Coalition where, uh, 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 writer where I got this um, uh, thing about Michael Jackson. He says, In the world, status is tethered to, it's connected to, it's attached to performance. It's the same in, in the gospel. The difference, however, is that our status as believers is not tethered to our performance, but to Christ's. Only the gospel can offer the resources to combat our pride, expose our emptiness, and flood our hearts with peace. How can I find any peace in the game of basketball? The aging legend asks. Michael, you never had peace. Triumph and fame, yes, but not peace. James Naismith invented a game that brought you a sense of purpose, of value, of calm, but it was only that a sense, a counterfeit of the real thing. You will never find life outside the game for the same reason you will never find it in it it's not there the the peace you ask isn't available on a basketball court or a golf course or on a but on a hill outside jerusalem there yahweh incarnate hung in the place of sinners Sinners defined as wannabe Yahweh's like you and like me. You've gained the world, but you found it lacking, Mike. Don't lose your soul. Revelation twenty two twelve says, and I close with this, behold, I am coming soon. This is Jesus bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your Holy Spirit, for having regenerated us, for having given us, for having given us eyes to see, hearts to believe, for giving us uh, faithful pastors, uh, for giving us the word of God, for giving us Jesus, for giving us meaningful and purposeful lives. Oh, how we hate all of our sins, how we want to flee from pride and from greed and from selfishness and from judgmentalism and all these things. Help us to flee to the loving arms of our God and our Savior and to walk with him every day. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his praise and pleasure. Amen. Please stand and sing.